Welcome to The Art of Range, a podcast focused on rangelands and the people who manage them. I'm your host, Tip Hudson, range and livestock specialist with Washington State University Extension. The goal of this podcast is education and conservation through conversation. Find us online at artofrange.com. This episode, number 83, is the second in a two-part series on a synthesis of ranch-level sustainability indicators for land managers. Yeah, it makes me wonder, too, a, a certification or uh, a rangeland health assessment are typically designed to give you know, a, a rating or a, a thumbs-up or a two-thumbs-up or a down, I suppose, at a particular point in time, and they're not designed to offer quantitative metrics that can be compared over time. But we want to track progress in sustainability. Uh, you know, for those who are in the range science world, you know, there's this distinction between assessments and trend monitoring and things that you can measure and, and see changing over time. So, for example, with interpreting indicators of rangeland health, this is designed to be an assessment. But if you want to track progress, you would have to use a protocol uh, like the monitoring manual for shrubland, savanna, and grassland ecosystems produced by the Hornada. And it it offers metrics that get at many of those ecological indicators. What are What are some of the indicators in this list that could be used for monitoring rather than assessment? And did you make any attempt to identify those things? I think that's a really important question, Tip. I, I, if we could just take one step back and we could maybe circle back there, even though this is your podcast, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, so I, I think that in, that in that discussion we just had about all the different indicator frameworks that's in that big table one of the paper that hopefully people can tune in and, and look up. Um, I feel like some of them, and this kind of gets, this confuses me sometimes about indicators, like some of them are more about performance of either management or policy approaches or just some kind of manipulation or management of the landscape. And then others are about kind of like the state of affairs in a landscape and like this, mm -hmm. like the condition of a landscape. Does anybody else get confused or, or does anybody else get a little bit um, confused about, not confused, but concerned that maybe we're, we're not being clear enough on the differences of those types of indicators or, or is that my own personal hang up? Sounds like I'm alone out. Am I alone in this one? <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is Claire and Sherry. I mean, I think it's a really great, uh, like it's a really great question. And I guess for me, how I think about it, um, go back to like the, the goal. Um, and you know, one of the things that I found really helpful through this process of sorting through all these indicators and, and also looking at the connections between them um, and how they inform each other was that, you know, some are, some are, are kind of telling you that story of process and some 
are more outcomes and some might be both. Um, and outcomes may also be somewhat in the eyes of the beholder based on individual values and goals for one's own operation and, and what, what they're trying to accomplish. And so I think, um, you know, I guess tip and Sherry, that's, it's a question that I think, um, to answer it, I think really is important to go back to like, what is, you know, what is the goal of, of that manager and for that operation? And then based on that, what might be really important kind of things to track over to, to, well, things that might, um, sorry, scratch that. What might be important elements to focus on and indicators for, for an operation. And I will note that we were, we, we did, you know, we did focus on including indicators that all could change over time. Um, but I think there's some that stand out as being much more responsive, um, on shorter timelines than others. Um, so just for example, um, you know, plant productivity is something that, that changes, you know, year to year, Mm-hmm. due to many different um, factors. Independent um, from management. Exactly, exactly. Um, and and that, you know, could be an indicator um, and also influences many different things, you know. So we have this, I think we might talk a little bit about this crazy spaghetti figure that we have um, in the paper showing all these connections. But, you know, one of the things that we that was sort of helpful in visualizing is, you know, which of these indicators are influencing other things and which ones are influenced by other things, which ones sort of kind of are more outcome-like. And an example of that, you know, soil carbon is something that does change over time, but can be hard to detect changes on short timelines um, and certainly influences other things, but also is, um, you know, responds to, to, to various other indicators. So this distinction, um, I think is, is an important one. And, and hopefully I think, you know, for me personally, like drawing out all the connections was helpful to sort of visualize some of that. Um, but again, I think really that question of, you know, what are those things to focus on really do come back to what the goals are, um, for a particular, um, manager or operation. Yeah. And I think there can be a difference in different locations between uh, leading indicators and lagging indicators, you know, as well as context specific um, metrics. I'm just thinking, for example, of soil stability, you know, you might on a, on assessment, you might check that the soil is stable (laughs) or with abundance of, native plants, you know, we might say that, yes, all expected plant functional groups are present, but in a, in a monitoring approach, you would assign a number to the, the number of plant functional groups or the number of species within each plant functional group. And that is something that could be compared over time. Uh, but the, I think too, maybe what you mentioned several minutes ago uh, is that the relative value of an individual indicator might vary significantly from place to place. I was recently uh, down south of Albuquerque in New Mexico, and I was really surprised in a location that you know would score at the top of the chart on a rangeland 
health matrix has really loose soil. And it surprises me that the soil is so loose because most places in the Northwest, you know, even where we have significant amounts of bare ground, interspaces between plants that are natural, that are expected, uh, still you don't have you don't have loose soil. And so a soil stability has almost doesn't have as much value as a monitoring metric where I live as it would in much of the Southwest because the soil is always stable here, even in places that are, uh, you know, extremely degraded plant communities, the soil is still stable. And so that's not a useful metric. And so I think some of the value in this is identifying this broad list of things that it would not be reasonable or feasible for most people to, to measure them all the time. Uh, but they're things that are worth considering in determining what might be a handful of useful things that that you do expect could change or that you might be able to influence with management. I like it. I like it. I mean, but but it still is important to come up with a core set, even though there's variation among regions and even among, I don't know, range types within a region. Do we we still agree that having a core set has a useful um, purpose? Correct. Yes. And, oh, yeah. And all the different categories of indicators are certainly applicable. I think they're applicable everywhere, which is related to another question I wanted to ask, and maybe we'll get to it. But um, I, I feel like these are indicators that would be valid on any rangelands anywhere in the world and not just within our own, you know, socioeconomic cultural context in North America. And I'm curious if you've had any discussion about that. And then we can take a look at the spaghetti diagram on the next page. Yeah, I'll jump in briefly. This is Patrick. Um, I think you're absolutely right. And I think by design, that's sort of the intent as well. Um, whether we're talking U.S. or international or southern Great Plains or northern Great Plains, these indicators don't dive into those specifics um, so much that they become restrictive. They're more really sort of universal characteristics of rangelands and the communities living on those rangelands. So while personally from World Wildlife side, we haven't, um, I guess, employed these indicators in other landscapes that we work, like we are in the Northern Great Plains, we are talking with our colleagues in Australia, in Latin America, sharing this list of indicators and seeing if they are appropriate and there would be uptake. Um, and so far, there has been great interest in having a set of indicators or core indicators in those other regions as well. Yeah, this is Corey, and I'll just jump in a little bit. I agree that there's this real utility in having some standard kind of areas of interest or key components of rangelands that we understand across cultural contexts. But I would put in a caution for maybe failing to see some of the local values if we try to assert one set of indicators broadly without some local conversations. So I think just as in this group of um, assessment protocols, we saw that there were some gaps in terms of the values that they were um, pulling out. I just want to always be acknowledging the fact that you know, these are really heterogeneous social ecological systems and every context is going to have its own 
um, set of values from diverse stakeholders that use those. And um, so definitely the importance of having some that are common across, but also being aware of heterogeneity and um, both in terms of that ecological and social heterogeneity. Yeah, this is Claire. If I could just build on that a little bit, I think, you know, it's, it's important to remember that this was, you know, these, these indicators and these core indicators are really looking across, you know, looking for the commonality across the, the resources and the, and the guidance that were available to us. And we really, you know, focused on, on the U.S. And I think it, it would be really interesting to do a similar um, synthesis in other places where, where um, grazing and, um, and, and, a livestock management is a really important part of the landscape to see, to sort of test that question. Are these, you know, same things coming up? Are there things that are really different or articulated differently? Um, and I think that would be really, really interesting and insightful, but just wasn't, wasn't part of the scope here. But I think it's, you know, this is what we found is, is really a product of, of what those, um, guidance documents were that we started with and that we reviewed and synthesized. And so it's just important to note that this is sort of reflecting, um, reflecting that. And, and we might find a really similar picture, but there might be other things and other values that emerge um, in other contexts. Yeah, and actually in the long-term agroecosystem research network, um, we have an indicators working group and we are actively planning a systematic stakeholder engagement effort um, around these different types of strategies that we're investigating for rangelands and pasturelands and far and croplands. And so, yeah, I'd be really happy to report back to all of you and would be very excited if if you guys wanted to collaborate on that. Yeah, that sounds like a great, great project. I think, um, you know, I guess the last thing I would say in regards to these indicators that I think Corey is put this in my brain at some point and it, it's stuck and um, <laughs> sometimes things stick and sometimes don't, but this one did, um, especially around the gaps and thinking about like, um, not so much like, why are the gaps there and why have they been missed? But like, as in what, because thinking about the gaps, because what gets paid attention to is what we measure oftentimes. And so if there are gaps around things that we need to be paying attention to, um, maybe we need to think about making sure we're filling those gaps um, when it comes to indicators, especially around the socioeconomic side of things where we, we saw more of those gaps. Talk a bit about what the gaps were well <laughs> well now that I said there were gaps I'm gonna well, I'm gonna clarify what I meant by that so when I say gaps I think what I mean is a gap in consistency because as Patrick pointed out we I mean there were like 180 indicators that we compiled and there a lot of those really were social and economic and so it's not like there are not indicators that exist um, and many of the frameworks, have them in some way, shape, or form. I think what the gap was, was there was a lot less agreement um, around what those should be. But I don't know, Sherry and Corey might have a, a different take on that too. Yeah, this is Corey, and I'll jump in there. I think 
Marissa, that you're right. It's not that they're not there. It's just that they're not being consistently measured across. Um, or maybe they're not being prioritized. Um, it could also be that there are very challenging things to measure. So there's a lot of papers out there that look at ecosystem services and the things that they consistently meet, um, miss are the things that are challenging to actually measure. So we can only um, really assess and know from a broader scope and scale what we can measure. So the people that are embedded in these systems, they know the values that are there and they understand them because they're part of the fabric of their lives. But it is hard to make those things visible or tangible sort of when you're thinking of scaling up from the ranch level to understand a whole um, you know, system of food production. So they are they are challenging. And I think, you know, in our assessment, there were some types of data that would be difficult to collect because they have private information in them. And so there might be a reticence to collect that kind of data. Um, I think in other situations, probably there are indicators that are really important on a case-by-case basis at the ranch level um, that might not be as common across operations. So those are just a few of the things that I've seen about, you know, why some things might not be measured as well as others in terms of sustainability. So well said. I, I agree completely. I think the scale issue is is a super in, important one um, at this point because we're going from kind of like plot scale or pasture scale where we might have a semblance of, of um, confidence that we can capture the variability in an ecological site or, you know, a soil series or a vegetation type, but then we're needing to really scale up to social systems um, that there's various expensive, it's expensive to collect data in at that larger scale and to do it in a way that's just and that includes a lot of voices um, without impinging on those privacy issues that Corey mentioned. And also, I wonder if we would revisit this podcast in 30 or 40 years, if we would be having a different conversation and if, you know, this wouldn't be as much of a, a gap in consistency. I feel like in a lot of the circles that I get to travel in, in rangeland ecology and management, there is a huge awakening to the importance of social science and the human dimensions. And um, everybody wants a social scientist on the team um, and an ag economist. And so I don't know, Corey, what you think, if, if you think, maybe in like a few decades from now, things might look different or if, if that barrier of scale is is, is still going to be, if it's more of a barrier of scale than like expertise, I don't know. I think that's a great question. And I think it is in part a barrier of scale um, in the sense that it is really hard to crosswalk these things. Um, and I think a barrier, sadly, in epistemology or the way that we know a system, because oftentimes it is really hard to kind of crosswalk rich qualitative data with quantitative data and metrics. So I agree with you that I think it will improve. And I think that we see a lot of buildup in agencies, um, in academia, 
to try to bring in and try to really integrate um, social science and more qualitative experiential ways of knowing um, with the, the data that we're used to collecting um, for scientific efforts. So I do think that it, it may change over time. I'm hopeful. Yeah, I think one example of that is that a lot of these sustainability metrics are becoming uh, increasingly of interest to various players in the supply chain. Uh, but there's probably still a lot of ranchers who may feel like this is not a useful or maybe even a, a dangerous line of reasoning. They don't want a bunch of external standards. Uh, how would you respond to a rancher that doesn't want some of these sustainability metrics imposed on them by people farther up the food chain, I mean supply chain? That's an excellent question. And I'll, I'll start. I think that that connectivity piece is is key. So the, the fact is, is that m- most of our ranchers are working in a conservation mindset, right? And they're, they are stewards of the land and they're conserving resources and they are really the front lines of sustainability on rangelands. Um, but the, even if they're doing everything that could get them certified, like if they then bring their calves to an auction and those calves just go through conventional supply chain um, pathways, there's no way, there's there's not many mechanisms to compensate them for, for that good work um, that they're doing um, versus somebody who might not be doing that same kind of work on the land and then puts their calves through in the same way. So it might be, um, so that this, I'm, I'm getting purely into economics and less in, into your question tip was, I, I think more about like privacy and not wanting um, to be totally scrutinized, which I think is a common human um, feeling. But I, I feel like if there would be a better, clearer mechanism to to pay ranchers for the services that they're stewarding and helping to provide, um, it might change the the conversation and the kind of valuation of these types of indicators. But that that mechanism really isn't, you don't see too many of them. You see more and more all the time, especially with these certification processes, but those aren't the norm that I can see yet. This is Corey, and I'll just jump in. I have some sort of interesting moments to recall in my own life. Uh, over the years, I've interviewed, you know, hundreds of ranchers for qualitative research projects. And one thing that I've heard multiple times from people is this concern about um, top-down sustainability indicators being sort of forced on them, primarily by large corporate um, buyers of beef. And the fact that I think the concern was not so much that people would be under scrutiny, but that how how would someone from outside of that system fully understand what sustainability was on the local landscape? And so one thing that I like about this paper is that we really, you know, have these kind of common key areas or key um, issues that we need to keep looking at on rangelands, but the way that those are applied in specific contexts are are slightly, you know, could be variable, you know, the range of what good is in, you know, 
the Chihuahuan desert is going to be different than the range of what good is in the Northern Great Plains, of course. And so I think that what we've done here kind of does the first step in saying, these are the broad things that we need to keep in mind. And maybe to get to those fine scale specifics that you would be measuring at a ranch level to qualify, you know, would take maybe a little bit more participatory and engaged research to understand what what those indicators are capturing and what they're not capturing that maybe are of value to local people. Hey, this is Patrick. I was just going to jump in too um, and say, I mean, on the onset, our, our intent is not to be imposing, right, <laughs> these indicators on anyone. Um, it's a, a list that is intended to be supportive and provide guidance. And with World Wildlife Fund, we do have a program where we work with ranchers, work with producers, provide monitoring that includes everything on the ecological list that's in here. Um, and we do have a spectrum of people that we work with from those that are hesitant, don't want to be collecting, want to make sure it's not shared to those that really want this information either for their own operation or for the communication standpoint. So I think part of it is about meeting people where they are and uh, creating that trust and building in assurances that this information, if it's collected, is for that landowner, won't be manipulated. Um, data can be aggregated, anonymized, all of those things. So it's a uh, it's certainly a concern when working on the ground, but I think there's more often than not ways to work together um, to make sure this benefits all involved. Yeah, that does seem to be a, a trend maybe of this interest in acknowledging the ecological benefits that are currently being produced rather than uh, attempting to force someone into it based on, you know, coercion through regulation. So do you guys do you guys think that that piece of of adequate kind of like payment for ecosystem services for lack of a better term is like an important frontier or not so much or I guess it doesn't have to be binary but to pay or to not pay maybe that's not the question <laughs> <laughs> Yeah again Patrick here um feel free to argue with me anyone but I think that as part, again, using the sustainable buzzword, um, as operations are sustainable, uh, working towards continued improvement over time, if we want to use that as the definition of sustainable, then that should have that feedback loop that we we're talking about earlier that builds in economic benefit from having healthy rangelands, sustainable operations, um, sustainable communities. And that that in itself will bring additional revenue. Uh, payment for ecosystem services, we could spend a whole nother hour talking about that. Um, yeah, it <laughs> can have benefits in places, can have detriments in places. Um, but providing the funding, whether it's a cost share program or something else up front to make the changes necessary, uh, I think is a good way to move forward that sort of blends that financial and sustainable piece together. Yeah, I, this is Claire. I Just to chime in a little bit here, I think um, our conversation is morphing 
in a way to like, what do we do with this information now that we have this synthesis? And this was something that we, Mm -hmm. we grappled with, um, together and as is emerging in the conversation, there's so many questions about, um, you know, if, you know, who, you know, here's, here's a, here's a synthesis of what's common across existing approaches and guidance on, on sort of what are key indicators, where do we go from here? And, um, and who is the decider? And I think a key thing that we highlight in the paper is the, the critical importance of, of um, having those, you know, most affected by any decision part of that process. And so working with ranchers to, you know, to take it from here to say, okay, well, how does this work on your landscape? And, you know, what, what is of, of value and helpful to you? What's, you know, the, this question of cost, who bears the cost and who bears the benefit of, of, you know, of monitoring these indicators of understanding kind of change over time. Um, these are all questions that, that came up and, um, I think we didn't set out to answer necessarily, but we do in the paper um, shed some light on them and highlight, you know, some of those key things that will be really important for the broader field to address. Um, and, you know, ideally, um, and and we're certainly hope, you know, working to this, and and I know others are um, is is doing it, you know, in collaboration um, with. Um, our our colleagues in in the ranching and grazing land uh, coalition communities, um, and really kind of looking to that participatory co-development. Um, I think it's you know one one review we got which we really appreciated highlighted that this was kind of a a wonky academic exercise <laughs> to pull all these things together, and in some ways it really was. It wasn't you know it wasn't grounded. Um, we in, in in a in a producer um, context because um, we we thought this could be a helpful resource to support that process and just sort of making sense of what's already out there. Um, but I think that next step would be really um, important to to move this work forward and start to tackle some of those um, those questions about what comes next and and the how um, how to move forward. Yeah. Any any other thoughts on what you think? You all have thought about this quite a bit at this point. You know, what do you think are some of the uh, you know the take home messages for ranchers? If I'm somebody who's reading, I feel like one of the useful things for me, either as a range manager or as a rancher, are you know here are the list of things that I should be thinking about because they are. Um, you know, both drivers of long-term ecological and economic health, as well as indicators of, you know, prior success in management. And I think having a list of things that you're sort of keeping in your head all the time uh, and, and potentially are things that can be used to communicate the benefits of ranching to the non-agricultural public is tremendously useful. Uh, what are some other takeaways that that you all have thought of i i i i see indicators as a primo way for, to communicate which you mentioned tip like i i think they capture a lot of complexity 
they capture goals and values. Um, they capture a snapshot in time or maybe change over time. Like we started to discuss earlier with your question that I railroaded, but I think that it is, um, I think that they are really important communication tools. And, and so I think it gets, it gets people talking in a common language. So ranchers talking in a common language, folks in the community working with ranchers talking in a common language and consumers too. So I think that's one thing that I learned from this effort that I think is an important takeaway. This is Marissa. I I mean, the, the major baseline take home point from the paper, right. Is, is to me anyway, is that, you know, there is a, there's a lot of agreement around ecological indicators and, you know, what are, what is important ecologically to be thinking about on, on our rangelands Um, and less so on the social and economic side. But if you're, a rancher, like looking towards those ecological indicators, I think you could have some confidence in like, okay, these are the things I kind of need to be thinking about in some way, shape or form on, on my ranch. Um, but for me, like, so that's kind of like the take home picture of the take home picture, take home point of the, um, paper. But for me, I think also in digging in and writing this paper, a lot of my learning came around, a lot of that last discussion that we just had really around thinking about how we operationalize and implement um, any of these indicators or metrics is going to be really important and making sure that those benefits and costs are not really unevenly distributed. Um, And that, you know, producers in particular, ranchers are absolutely um, need to be a part of that, that conversation going forward. So. Yeah, this is Patrick. Those are, I mean, both great points, and I totally echo those as well. Um, I do think a big part, like Marissa mentioned early on, is our interest in getting into this was sort of how do you um, talk about and measure sustainability and maintain ranching as a grass-based economy? And going through this process really helped sort of illuminate ways that that can be done. Um, monitoring leads to communications, leads to adaptive management. It's just all critically important sort of from the ground up perspective. Um, It didn't come out of this paper, but I was in a rangeland monitoring conference not too long ago. Uh, Hopefully we're all still learning and (laughs) attending those types of things and always improving. And someone said something that really stuck with me. And it was, as a land manager, if you're not monitoring, you're guessing. Um, and I, I think that's a, a great point and sort of a take-home piece that I've walked away with, maybe not necessarily that the paper uh, indicates, but it's helped me in thinking through this. Yeah, I think it, particularly in public land settings, it also helps get around some of the questions of, are cows an appropriate use of the landscape? This removes some of the subjective feelings about whether or not cows should be there to focus on whether or not the presence of livestock and the way they're being managed is compatible with all of these um, indicators of ecological sustainability in particular. And I think this helps provide a, a framework for thinking through, are we helping or harming or, you know, essentially having a uh, no no negative effect at all 
I think this is a helpful way of thinking through that. This is Claire. You know, I think one of the things that that I kept coming back to uh, throughout this process was um, was the goal and the question of the goal, because there you could you could you could you could collect a lot of information, you could track a lot of indicators, and we kind of narrowed it down to a subset of what is commonly put forward. But even that is a long, you know, that can be a long list. And so, you know, what we tried to do is sort of categorize what do these different indicators help us understand in this, in the context of sustainability, you know, do they give us information about uh, carbon or climate? Do they tell us about biodiversity? Do they tell us about water? Do they tell us about social well-being? Um, and I think for me, that question of what is the goal? Are we trying to, like we were talking about earlier, track outcomes over time? Or are we trying to learn and adapt and, and have information that will support us in that adaptive management? And so I think for me that I keep coming back to what are what is one trying to achieve, and um, and I think you know that will depend on every individual land manager and and their values and what they're trying to do with their operation. But to start with that goal, and then come to something like this to say, okay, how might I, how might I, you know, how might I support that goal? What indicators might be useful for me? I believe I mentioned when we started that the article is open access and we will link to it in the show notes, which you can get to either from your podcasting platform or at uh, the episode page at artofrange.com. Uh, my guest today, see if I can get everybody's names right again, were Patrick Lindrum, Corey Knapp, Marissa Ehlering, Claire Kazansky, and Sherry Spiegel. And they have been involved with this effort to identify sustainability indicators in ranching and I think this is a a pretty useful effort and I hope it leads to some other uh, some other projects to come thank you all thank you thank you tip yeah thanks for having us thank you thank you for listening to the art of range podcast you can subscribe to and review the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode just search for art of range if you have questions or comments for us to address in a future episode, send an email to show at artofrange.com. For articles and links to resources mentioned in the podcast, please see the show notes at artofrange.com. Listener feedback is important to the success of our mission, empowering rangeland managers. Please take a moment to fill out a brief survey at artofrange.com. This podcast is produced by Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. The project is supported by the University of Arizona and funded by the Western Center for Risk Management Education through the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.